that, and it will be so humiliating, but I will get my comeuppance. Good morning, Valley Bible Church. Good to see you. It seems like the uh, rumors of winter's demise have been greatly exaggerated. Those of you who told me in the last few weeks that while we're done with snow, uh, I told you so. We are not done with snow. Good to see you all this morning on this uh, long winter's night and this winter day. And um, we're going to jump right into talking about the Holy Spirit this morning some more. But as we do that, obviously, uh, we need to turn our attention to the grace of God and to his help that he provides to us by his greatness and by his spirit. And I ask you, therefore, to pray with me. Blessed are you, O Lord, God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you are the ruler of all things. In your hand is power and might to exalt and to give strength to all. Therefore, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are back to talking about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians. And this morning we're going to be talking about unity in diversity. Diversity is a word we hear a lot about, isn't it? We hear the word all the time. And uh, sometimes you hear it in conjunction with unity, unity and diversity. But the diversity that we usually hear about does not lead to unity, does it? It is really usually quite the opposite for it forces people to believe in or to accept things that they do not believe or they know not to be true. In God's church, there's true unity and and diversity, truly. There isn't anything like it. There is no other entity. There is no other organization in which we see the unity and the diversity explained in, 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 in our midst because of God's work. Male and female, rich and poor, Every tribe and tongue, every race and every language are one in Christ when they come to Christ. In his church, everyone is equal before God, and it is the only answer to inequality and lack of diversity. Christ is the only answer, and the gospel is the only means by which that answer is known. So we will see that universal. Unity, rather, in diversity this morning as we talk about this, as we talk about the spiritual gifts, where they come from and what their purpose is. And and we're actually going to be talking about this from chapter 12 through 14, so we have a lot more to say about it in weeks to come. When I was a young believer at uh, Pocatello Bible Church, and Mike Powell was was the, the preacher then, and I was a college student, Um, He was a young pastor, by the way. (laughs) You notice that we're getting closer in age. But anyway, (laughs) weird how that happens. He was teaching on 1 Corinthians, and he started talking about spiritual gifts. And I didn't know anything about the the Bible. And I I was, wait, what? They're gifts? I didn't know that. And it was like icing on the cake for me because... I was thrilled to be saved. I was thrilled to be a newly forgiven, a newly minted Christian. And to hear that there was this thing called spiritual gifts was was phenomenal to me. And it should be phenomenal to each and every one of us, given the nature of these gifts and where they come from. So let's jump right into our first point where we see that we see God's unity in the diversity of gifts. God is one. God is single. God is in the Trinity. There is one God existing in three persons. So there is unity and diversity in the Godhead, but there is unity in the diversity of the gifts because we see that in God himself. Verses 4, 5, and 6 say this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. 
There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Notice the, 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 the repeated language and the varying language. He uses the word gifts in verse 4. He uses the word ministries in verse 5. He uses the word effects in verse 6. He uses the word varieties, 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 singularly, three times. And then he uses the word the same spirit, the same Lord, and the same God for the common good. He begins with a statement that that looks back to the role of the Holy Spirit. Remember where we ended a couple of weeks ago where Paul says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It is only by the Holy Spirit revealing it to you by giving you salvation, making you alive together with Christ, the new birth, making it known to you that is the only way that you can say Jesus is Lord. And then now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. He keeps going, talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says there are varieties of gifts. As we pointed out a couple of weeks ago, this is the word charisma. Charisma, which we get charismatic from, and people have charismatic personalities, or there's the charismatic movement, for instance. But it means gifts, gifts of the Spirit. He began by saying, now concerning spiritual matters, spiritual things, and now he says the Spirit. There are varieties of spiritual things, varieties of spiritual gifts, but it is the same spirit. What are these gifts? What are these gifts that he's given to us? Here is a a working definition. I consulted many definitions uh, in my study this last week, and they're all very, very similar. Let's let's put it this way. Spiritual gifts are a God-given ability to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. A divine enabling given to you, an ability that you would not have otherwise, to serve the body of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what a spiritual gift is. Talents, by the way, are different. Um, <clears throat> people have the gift, have you know their natural abilities, uh, talents are, but even those are given to us by God himself. In fact, remember back in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul said this, putting down the Corinthians, he said, For who regards you as superior? Who made you all that? And he said, What do you have that you did not receive? And the answer is nothing. Everything you have, everything you are, your height, your, air, your hair color, the fact that you have hair, your, the, your eye color, your intelligence, your abilities, your energy, the money that you have, everything that you have was given to you by God. And then he says, And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Why do you boast by saying, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I am the one who is doing this thing? That's pride. We must humbly accept what God has given to us. And he gives us natural abilities, but he gives us spiritual abilities. Some of the natural abilities are musical. Some people are musical. Some can't carry a tune in a a bucket. Some people are athletic and they excel at sports. Some people are good at writing. Some can't spell. Um, Some people have more intelligence than others, and and the level of intelligence that you have is up to you, or up to God, rather. Um, Chris and I share this headset, and sometimes when, after he wears it, I have to adjust it because his head is bigger than mine. And and I don't mean he's got a big head. What I mean is he's got a lot of gray matter. Your IQ, and your IQ, and your IQ, my IQ, given to us by God. And we have a divine enablement to serve the church in the power of the Spirit. This is the unity and the diversity that we have. And what he is saying is that we are all different. We all have different roles to play. And God alone decides what those individual roles and gifts are. Different gifts to different people. And he uses this repetition again. Varieties of gifts, same spirit. Varieties of ministry, same Lord. Varieties of effects, same God. The gifts, we know what they are. But then the ministries, he says in verse 6, there are various, manifold, different kinds of ministries. The word ministries is the word from which we get the word deacon, which means a servant. Which tells us the real, the, the real affecting of these gifts is to serve one another. 
varieties of, of effects, but the same, uh, excuse me, varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. And who's the Lord that he's talking about? No one can say Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit, varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is showing that in these gifts that each one has, there are subtle differences in their types and what they achieve, but the purpose is we are all in the service of the Lord. If we say by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is Lord, that means he is Lord of all, he is Lord of our lives, and we serve him as the Lord. And verse verse 6, there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. The word effects here is the word we get from which we get the word energy. And God energizes us. With this word, Paul is emphasizing the expression of our gifts in the varying ways, the experience of it, and how God works in it to accomplish certain things. God is the one who does that. There are many gifts, and the employment of those gifts is in serving, and the expression of that gift accomplishes different results. There is one God who gives different gifts to different people for one purpose. That's all we're saying this morning. And as you leave this morning, if you have that and an understanding, one God who gives different gifts to different people, but we all have one purpose. Notice again, he says in verse 6, the same God who works all things in all persons. Every believer, that's what he's talking about. Every believer. So notice how we see this this verse is not, it's rather, it is rather a, a, a shocking and brilliant and masterful statement about the Trinity, the same Holy Spirit, the same Lord Jesus, and the same God and Father, but that's not the point that he's making. The overall point is diversity is found in the unity of the triune God. The triune God is, number one, the source, that's where it comes from. The triune God is, number two, the reason serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And the triune God is the power. He is the equipper. He is the enabler, the one who gives us that ability to serve. The triune God is the source. The triune God is the reason serving Jesus. And the triune God is the power who equips us and enables us to serve. So... Here are some things I want you to know. Everyone is different. He gives to each and every one of us something, but we are all different. That's the diversity part. Look around the room. Do we all look the same? Do we all have the same station in life, the same abilities, the same age? It's God's creation and God's creative ability, but it's almost kind of humorous when you look around, isn't it? What a ragtag bunch of people we are. That God would make us the way we are, that he would call us to be this one body called Valley Bible Church, that he would give each and every one something that is different for one purpose, and it is all in the creativity of God. How boring it would be if there was no such thing as gender, if if we all had the same age, if we all had the same voice, if we all had the same personality, but, but God's creative, creativity in making us each and every one different shows us that God is infinitely creative. And he, he unifies us with this diversity. And everyone has a place. If you are part of Valley Bible Church, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a place here. This is your place. This is the place for you. Even may, maybe you haven't found what that specific place is. You have a place because everyone has a role. Everyone has a role to play in the body of Christ, in the family of God. And he's placed each and every one of us in this place for that role because everyone has an ability. That is the spiritual gift. The divine enablement that he has given to you to serve one another in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the ability that he's given to every person in this room that is a believer in Jesus Christ. So that means if we have this ability and this role in this place, we have a responsibility 
because we belong to one another. And just like any family, somebody has to feed the dog. Somebody has to clean up after the dog. Someone has to do the cooking and the washing. Someone has to lead the devotions. Someone has to pay the bills. Someone has to work. We all have a role and we all have a responsibility in this family so that when we, when we take care of that responsibility, everyone makes a difference. And some of you I know just by virtue of your personality because you're more quiet and you may be younger in the Lord, maybe not well taught. I don't know what reasons they may be, but some of you believe there is no place for me here. I don't have a role to play. I don't have any ability. I don't make a difference. Poppycock. <laughs> God says otherwise. You have an ability, a role, a place And you make a difference when you walk with God and do as he has called you. The same Holy Spirit, the same Lord Jesus, the same God and Father who is at work in each and every one of us. So the bottom line is this. It is God who is at work in you. It is God who is at work in you. Philippians 2.13 Good memory verse, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. To please him for his glory. And he's at work in you, whether you know it or not, whether you realize it, whether you're cooperating at this point or not. We want to change that, but God is working in each and every one of us. So we see God's unity in the diversity of gifts. And then we see in verses 7 through 10, God's purpose in the exercise of the gifts. God has a purpose as we exercise our gifts. It's not just enough to give gifts, and it's not enough for us to have gifts and not uh, open those gifts and use those gifts, but in the exercise and the using and the obedience to God of those gifts, God has a purpose. Verse 7 But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Did you catch those three things as I emphasize them? Everyone is gifted to each one. No one is left out. To each one is given this. Each gift is a demonstration of the Spirit's power, the Spirit's presence. The word, of man, the word manifestation has the idea of announcing something or revealing something or to make it known. In this case, the gifts that God has given to us, the Spirit of God is working in such a way to, as a visible manifestation of His presence, that He is here, that He is working, that He is doing something. How do you know that the Holy Spirit is present in your life? Well, you know, because God says so, and the Word of God says so. But there is the fruit of the Spirit, which is Christ-likeness. There is the filling of the Spirit, which is worship, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, etc. And then there is the ministry of the Spirit through your giftedness. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit in this age is to mediate the presence of Christ. Remember in the book of John, Jesus Jesus said, I'm going away, but when I go away, don't worry because I'm sending the helper. And he will teach you all things and he will lead you and he will guide you. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit in the absence of Christ is to make Christ known. He is here. He is present. And this is the manifestation of the Spirit. This is different from what the Corinthians thought because they thought that there was a singular manifestation of the Holy Spirit and that singular manifestation was speaking in tongues. Now we're going to get to that and that's really what he's going to... We want to be careful that we not spend the, the next three, four, however weeks in our life groups talking about tongues and miracles when we miss the point of what he's talking about which is that every one of us are gifted. The Spirit works in many various ways for one purpose. He doesn't just work in one way, and that's the problem with the Corinthians. And he puts that to rest, focusing on the fact that there are a variety of gifts. 
And each and every one of those gifts is a specific manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our midst. And then he says, it is for the common good. For the common good. The purpose of God's Spirit working through our gifts is to the benefit of one another. To benefit of others. To profit. Every one of us should profit in some way by the giftedness of every person in this room. Maybe not directly, but indirectly, but as we minister our gifts by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is for the common good, not the singular good. It's not just for my good. It's not just for the person who has a showy gift. It is humility, humbly serving God so that each and every one of us are benefited by the common good. Not just a few, but each and every one of us ministering. Now, what Paul is going to do next is he's going to illustrate this principle that he just stated. And the principle, again, is the purpose of God's spirit working through our gifts is the benefit of all. He's going to illustrate this. He's going to show how the Spirit achieves this singular purpose by giving different gifts to different people. In other words, unity in diversity and a unified purpose through diverse people. So there are many kinds of gifts we see in 8 through 10. Many kinds of gifts. And this is what he says, and I'll just read it to you. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Now it might just seem that there is just a list of things, and it is a list, And by the way, he's going to augment that list later in this chapter. But he's making a point in the language. And let me me just read to you what I think the rendering is, is what he's saying. The spirit who gives the word of wisdom to one is the same spirit who gives the word of knowledge to another. The spirit who gives the, the word of knowledge is the same spirit who gives faith. The spirit who gives faith is the same spirit who gives healings. The spirit who gives healings is the same spirit who gives prophecy. The spirit who gives prophecy is the same spirit who gives distinguishing of spirits. The spirit who gives distinguishing of spirits is the same spirit who gives tongues. And the spirit who gives tongues is the same spirit who gives interpretation. One spirit, many variations, many ways in which we serve. So Paul lists these gifts in 8 through 10, and he's going to supplement them later. But here they are, uh, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, affecting of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, various kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. Note what Paul does not do, nor does anyone else. He does not define these gifts. He doesn't give us a definition of what each and every one of them mean. Some of them are mentioned elsewhere. Some are not mentioned Elsewhere, elsewhere. But notice how tongues is at the end of the list. Even though that for the Corinthians, tongues was at the top of the list. In the next uh, um, list that he's going to give at the end of this chapter, tongues will be at the bottom of the list there as well. Because he's emphasizing the individual nature of the gift giving. Each one individually is given something different. But we saw in verse 7 that each individual gift has the same purpose, the common good of all. Now, this applies broadly, by the way, these, this giftedness, because um, there's even variation in the ability that you have. One teacher is not the same as another teacher. So someone might be gifted uh, spiritually to teach children and some might be gifted in teaching men and some might be te- gifted in t- teaching in a seminary and some might be gifted teachers and, as pastors. And not everybody is created the same even in that regard. Some have more energy in serving and they have more natural knowledge and they're able to serve more. And some people still have the gift of service and or the gift of helps 
but it may not be to the same level of others. Again, Paul does not define these gifts. But we know what they are because the scripture describes them elsewhere in some way. Therefore, we have to be careful that we don't take the common um, description in Pentecostalism, for instance, and, and, and read that back into this list or what Paul says about spiritual gifts. So here is a list of the gifts, spiritual gifts, as they are described throughout the New Testament. Um, by the way, the second category should be 1 Corinthians 12 also because this, he, he gives two, very, two lists in 1 Corinthians 12. So we have our list, our list on the, on the left-hand side. But in 1 Corinthians 12 later, he says this, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. He's given them an order of precedence. Then miracles and gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. In order of importance, he gives them. Notice what is last once again. He's making that statement to the Corinthians. You got it upside down. You're focusing on something that is not as important as you think it is. Yes, it is a gift. Yes, it is important, but it's not what you think it is. In Romans 12, Paul gives another uh, list. But notice in Romans 12 and in Ephesians and in 1 Peter, he does not list these, these miraculous gifts. And he says this in, first, in, in Romans 12, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each of us is exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, see the list in Romans 12, according to the proportion of faith. If service... In his serving, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So you see another set of gifts, and these are kind of the mainstay, the basic things that we normally see in a church. Ephesians 4, Paul says, When he, that is Christ, ascended on high... He led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And he gave some as apostles, as our list shows, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And most see that as one gift, a pastor slash teacher. Then in the book of First Peter, we have a short list which says this, As each one has received a special gift, Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 1 Peter 4 gives more categories, some say, speaking gifts and serving gifts. But we need to know that these lists are not exhaustive. Why did he not give all, all of the gifts in every one of the lists? It could be that there are other gifts that are not included or different variations of them that we're not sure of. The important thing is that they're not defined, and so we have to be careful that we, we don't hold to a strict adher- adherence that these are the gifts and the only ones, and they ain't no more. There may be other ways of seeing this. But again, I'll say this. Paul doesn't define the gifts, but we pretty much know what they are. For instance, when you look at the, the list that we're looking at today in 1 Corinthians 12, we know what wisdom is. You know why? Because the Bible tells us. Wisdom in, in the scripture is never divorced from God's word. Wisdom is the application of God's word to specific situation. It is the application. It is skill in living. It is applied knowledge. In fact, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? And we know what knowledge is. Knowledge is truth. Where does truth come from? I am the way, the truth, and the life. God reveals truth in us. And the other proverb says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In the early days 
of the church, when the canon of Scripture was not yet complete, they, God was still revealing knowledge. God was still revealing truth. Now we have, as Jude says, the faith once delivered. We have this body of truth that has been delivered to us, past tense. The truth is what we have, and we don't need continuing revelation from God anymore. Faith. We know what faith is, right? Faith is a gift, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God. There is saving faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. We all live a life of faith, saved by faith, we're justified by faith, and the just will live by faith. But honestly, don't some people have more faith than others? Some people are gifted to believe great things from God. Some people are, have the, the gift to, the, to believe that God can, can do great things and to ask Him and to boldly step out and see those things They pray big prayers. They take bold steps. And we need people like that in the church. We need people with the gift of faith who are able to envision the future and say, God, I'm asking you, we're asking you to do these great things and to believe that he will. And so everybody has a different measure of faith. We know what healing is. Someone is sick and then they're not. It's pretty simple. Jesus and the apostles affected many miraculous things and they healed many people. God still heals today, like we said a couple weeks ago. But we have to be honest and we have to, 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 to be able to, to, to uh, say and understand and believe and admit that we don't see the miracles of healing the same way they happened in the life of Jesus and the apostles. We just do not see it that see those kinds of of healings. Someone blind from birth. We don't see it. A withered hand that was person born deformed, straightened out. Miracles that uh, are really unusual. And we know what a miracle is. A miracle is a supernatural work of God apart from the laws of nature. God erupts into the time and space and he suspends those laws uh, of, of natural law and he does something miraculous. For instance, Jesus turned water into wine. Do we have anybody who's done that lately? He walked on water. He took a few loaves and, and some fish more than once and fed tens of thousands of people multiplying something. He was able to see into the heart's of men. He, he cursed a fig tree and it withered. Jesus' healing of people demonstrated his authority over sickness, which is caused by sin. Jesus raising people from the dead demonstrated his authority over death, which is caused by sin. So Jesus performed miracles that we do not perhaps see today. We all know what prophecy is. Prophets in the Old Testament, a prophet is someone who speaks for God. Sometimes prophecy is, is a new revelation when God tells uh, the prophet to say something to God's people. Sometimes it is a predicting of the future. And sometimes it is just gi giving the meaning of God's word. In any case, it is speaking for God. In the early church, once again, the scriptures were not complete, and God was unfolding his revelation through the prophets at that time. But now we have to be careful that we do not add to that revelation. And I think the, the gift of prophecy exists, me as some people talk about it, as not foretelling, but forthtelling. In other words, being able to explain the word of God. And we have some people that are particularly gifted to take God's truth and speak prophetically prophetically to the church in the times in which we live and to apply the scriptures in a unique and wonderful way. But we must be careful of using language that says, you know, God told me this and God spoke to me and he said such and such because yes, God tells us things by his spirit through his word, but they are not new revelation. Because if it was new revelation, it would be equal to the scripture and might as well just type it up and put it in the back of your scripture. Inspired prophecy, inspired revelation is the word of God. We need to be careful of adding to it.
We all know that there are different kinds of spirits when he talks about this. We, everything is spiritual. We've been discussing this. And some people have this gift of discernment to be able to tell evil versus good. Remember what he said in chapter 3. Um, no one can say Jesus is cursed by the Spirit of God. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So when there is a rejection of Christ... When there is error in a, a, a declaration about Christ, we need to be able to discern that there is a different spirit at work. Wherever God works, the enemy will counterfeit, and we know that. And since Satan is capable of the miraculous, people are gullible and they're prone and they have a penchant to go toward the miraculous. And we need to be careful that we test the spirits just because something miraculous happens and, and a person says it was God who did it. It still has to be judged by God's word. First Timothy 4, 1 Timothy 4.1 Paul said, but the spirit explicitly says that in later times, you know, when we live, we are living in later times. Some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. How do we know that they're deceitful spirits? How do we know that this doctrine that someone is teaching is, is a is a doctrine of demons? Because we have the word of God now to compare it to. That's how we know. We know what tongues are. They were, in the book of Acts, a specific language. Again, it's listed last. Gordon Fee, one of my favorite um, commentators on the book of Corinthians, who has, by the way, a Pentecostal background, says this. Yes, I read Pentecostal uh, writers. Um, he says that this tongues was the problem child in Corinth, and indeed it was, and he is de-emphasizing them, Paul is. We're further going to delve into tongues in chapter 14, so we'll come back to that later, because we don't want to lose sight of Paul's point here in this passage. Everyone is gifted for the same purpose by the same spirit. That's what he's telling us today. And every one of these gifts works to that end. So here are just a couple of thoughts about miracles, okay? This is important for us to know. Many people think that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is just one miracle after another. And they read some of the Bible. The problem is they don't read the whole Bible. I think if you read the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, you would see that that is not the case. But people read about miracles in the Bible and they say, well, how come we don't see miracles like that today? And the truth is, we don't see that many miracles in the Bible. They are really quite rare. And so miracles were much less common than one would think. They happen in various times in the scriptures. And there are three main times in which, three main uh, epochs of time in which we see, um, we see God's miracles. Moses. When Moses appeared on the scene, he was the deliverer. He was the mediator between God and, and the nation of Israel. And he was to lead the nation Israel out of bondage in Egypt into the promised land. No small thing. And his whole ministry was, was authenticated by incredible miracles. Those miracles were meant to authenticate him as God's leader of, of God's people. The next time in which we see a lot of miracles is during the time of Elijah and Elisha. These prophets who were speaking to the nation Israel for them to repent and to turn back to the promises of the promised land. And the miracles that they performed were meant to authenticate that they were God's spokesmen. The third time that we see miracles is during the life of Jesus and the apostles. Jesus' miracles were meant to authenticate his messianic claims. Remember when we were in the book of John, that the key verse in, in all the book of John 2030 says, therefore many other signs, many other miracles, Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. What was the purpose of the miracles? To authenticate that Jesus was the Messiah 
so that you would believe in him. He's done with those miracles. But then we have the apostles, and they performed many miracles. And what was the purpose of that? To authenticate that they were authentic apostles, sent and chosen by Jesus to found his church on the earth. 2 Corinthians 2.12 The signs of a true apostle were performed among you, past tense, with all perseverance, by signs and wonders and miracles. Why? As it says there, to show that they were true apostles. The church was built on the foundation of the apostles, but we see, as I said a couple weeks ago, the miracles in the New Testament eventually were just and gradually were trailing off. At one point, Paul did not heal Epaphroditus in Philippians 2. Paul was not able to heal himself in 2 Corinthians. He said, Lord, take this away. Lord, take this away. Lord, take this thing away from me. And God said, no. My grace is sufficient. Paul could not even heal Timothy's stomach ailments. And he wrote to him and said, Timothy, about your stomach problems, drink a little bit of wine. Okay, He gave him medical advice, didn't he? Instead of instead of saying I'm sending a miracle handkerchief to you through the you know the mail, he didn't heal him. Hebrews two speaks about these miracles in the past tense. So here are some lessons for us about this. <clears throat> God works through the ordinary more than He does through the miraculous. We see that in the Scripture. Not just something I'm saying, not just since the apostles passed from the scene, but even in all the scriptural scripture, we see God working more through the ordinary than he does through the miraculous. You know how most believers lived in, in the Old Testament and New Testament times? They put on their pants every morning, just like us, and they trusted in God and they obeyed. And there was no miraculous other than the God is supernatural, always working. But that is the Christian life. For instance, God achieves more through suffering oftentimes than he does through miracles, doesn't he? He does. Consider it all joy, my brethren. When you encounter various trials, because the purpose of those trials is to make you like Christ. Think about Johnny Erickson Tata. You maybe, maybe you know who she is. As a young woman in her teens in a diving accident, she became a paraplegic. She prayed for healing many times. She went to healing services, and God said no. But God gifted her, and he accomplished through his spirit in her life more than he would ever have achieved, most likely, than if he had healed her. That is a fact. And this is very good news for you and for me, because I'm just an ordinary guy, and I haven't performed any miracles lately. And we're all ordinary people. Second of all, miracles are rare, but God's supernatural workings are everywhere. Just because we're not saying that miracles are happening all the time, we're not saying that God is not supernatural work, supernaturally working. Yes, he is. He works through ordinary means, ordinary graces. We may call them everyday common things. But everything we do for the Lord is anything but ordinary. It is extraordinary because the Spirit of God manifests through us His power. And for us at Valley Bible Church, we're just ordinary people. But we're diverse. And God's supernatural Spirit has supernaturally gifted every one of us to serve one another. It is through the week-to-week, the day-to-day, the seemingly unremarkable, mundane service that you provide to one another that you get tired of, and yet God is working through all those things to build up the body of Christ. Through your obedience in Him. In verse 11, we finally see this. We see God's sovereignty in the distribution of the gifts. God has sovereignly chosen to whom what he will give to each and every one of us. That is his choice and it is not ours. Verse, verse 11, but one and the same spirit, 
works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. It is his decision. It's his. Since God is sovereign, God gets the glory for the giving, for the working, and the results of our gifts. That's the beginning and the end of it. Since he is sovereign in all of these things, he gets the glory for the giving of the gifts. He gets the glory for the working of the gifts. He gets the glory for the results. We all, we give him the glory because we say Jesus is Lord by his spirit. Therefore, we cannot and should not try to be something that we're not. We must humbly accept the gifts he has given to us. Whatever he's given to you, humbly accept it. You may not know what it is yet, but if you have something, accept it. Second of all, we should not be condescending nor jealous. We should not look down on others because they don't seem to be as gifted as we are. That was exactly the problem in Corinth. Nor should we be jealous of others because they're getting more attention than we are. That is divisive. And the Corinthians were divided on these things. Elevating one gift, one person above another. And we need to learn the lesson that Paul is giving to us. And gifts are a stewardship of that is sovereignly given to us. It's a stewardship. Just like your money, just like your health, just like your time, just like your relationships, everything that you have is a stewardship and he's given you giftedness and it is your responsibility, our responsibility to be faithful to exercise those gifts under his direction and power. So, in conclusion, how do you find your gift? I know many of you are wondering, well, I don't know what my gift is. How many of you have taken spiritual gifts inventories Quite a few of you. And you take a little test to find out, okay, you have this gift. Could be. Maybe. Remember that he, all these gifts are not defined. They're not exhaustive. Because they're clearly not clearly defined, I think we need to be more concerned with just serving the Lord. You want to know how to find your gift? Here it is. Walk with God. Walk with God, confess and forsake sin. Be a person of prayer. Be in the scriptures. Worship faithfully and joyfully. Fellowship regularly with other believers. Give as it has been given to you and serve. Just find a place and serve. There's no mystery here. For some, the gift is evident. For some people, it's not so much. But if you are walking with God and doing these things, be at peace that God is working through you because it is God who works in you. And be at peace with that. Do you know what the greatest gift of all is? Do you know what the greatest miracle is? The gospel. God forgiving us. It's the greatest gift that's the greatest miracle at all that he takes people such as us who are disparate, who are lost, who are dead, and who are indifferent and enemies of God, and he forgives us. One of the miracles that Jesus performed was in the book of Mark, and he cursed a fig tree. And when, it were, when, it, when, it cur- when he cursed it, the, the, the disciples were amazed and he says well if you have faith you can lift up a mountain and and cause it to go into the sea do you know anyone who's cursed a fig tree and, and had it withered do you know anyone who's had the faith to move a mountain into the sea and then he said when you stand and pray forgive if you don't god will not forgive you he puts that in the category of the miraculous It's one thing for us to be forgiven, but as my wife says, whom I call my prophetess, um, forgiveness is like two sides of a coin. On one side is our forgiveness, and on the other side is our forgiving others. And oftentimes we want to make it a transactional thing. Oh, well, they didn't ask for forgiveness. Jesus said, When you stand, forgive. If you don't, you're not forgiven. 
Do you struggle to forgive? That's what communion is all about. It's us declaring that we are forgiven together, but we must also forgive one another. But you might turn around and look at the other side of the coin and say, is someone struggling to forgive you? Oh. In that case, it's our responsibility to ask and to forgive. And the bread and the cup represent the greatest miracle of all. Christ come in the flesh, crucified and risen from the dead, coming back for us and we proclaim his death until he returns. The body and the blood, the bread and the cup, the miraculous incarnation of God into human flesh and his sacrifice on our behalf. We have all the miracle we need. We have it right here. Believer, would you join with me, pray, and we will partake together. Father God, we thank you for the miracle of forgiveness, the miracle of salvation, the miracle of Christ. Thank you for forgiving us, and we pray that likewise we would forgive one another, recognizing also that we are one body we are all different and we relish in the fact and glory in the truth this morning that you have made us one but you've made us different for one purpose to bring glory to you with this bread and this cup we declare that purpose now in Jesus name and he said do this in remembrance of me Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift and God's people said. Stand and we're going to sing.